Discover stunning scenery and local attractions as you explore New Zealand. Plan your trip today, live on SEN. Welcome to Trail Towns with Vandy and Dietz. G'day everyone, this is Dietz on his way to meet Vandy in the UK. So for this week's instalment of Trail Towns Radio, brought to you by 100% Pure New Zealand, we're going to change it up a little. We're delving into the archives to revisit some of the best interviews we did on our first season of Trail Towns Radio. And it's all about legends. On the telly, this week's episode on SBS at 4pm on Saturday is Vandy and my adventure in Christchurch, where we were blown away with how much riding there is to do in that amazing city. And then into the wild west coast of the South Island, discovering the Wilderness Trail and of course heaps more. Tonight, we're chatting to one of the people featured in that episode, Katane, a Maori greenstone carving master who taught Vandy and I how to carve greenstone. He's hilarious and you're going to love him. Oh, and the legends. How about Cadell Evans, Anna Mears, and of course, an old mate of mine, Glenn Ridge from Sale of the Century. Why? Well, I don't know. Why not? He's a cool guy. Anyway, so stay tuned for heaps more fun. And next week, normal service is resumed with Vanny and I doing the show live from Devon, which is on the west coast of the southern bit of the UK. And we're riding the Coast to Coast Trail. And we're exploring locations for our first UK series. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But right now, it's time to meet Katane from Hockey Ticker on the wild west coast of Aotearoa's South Island. Hockey Ticker. The Wild West Coast. Here we are. I'm recording this little chat with our great friend Katane earlier because right now, as I speak, Vandy and I are in the air heading to London to develop our fourth season of Trail Towns. We're going to do six episodes in the UK. But I've got Katane on the phone because Katane is from an amazing town called Hockey Ticker and the episode which we did Christchurch to the Wild West Coast uh, Cartonay featured. Welcome to Trail Towns, Cartonay. There you go, bro. I couldn't be better for hearing your voice. Cartonay, where awesome. is Hockey Ticker? Uh, so, Hockey Ticker is on the west coast of the South Island in New Zealand. Um, small little town, probably, I don't know, probably got a population of around 3,500. Um, uh, yeah. What nice um, little coastal town. What's so great about the West Coast, and I'll, I'll just sort of say this before we get any further. We, we took the train, the Transalp Railway across the top, Vandy and I did. We got into the West Coast. It just felt so different to the East Coast. Why does it feel so different, in your yep. opinion? In my opinion, mate, I think it's just the, the untamedness of the place. Hey? Like, you know, there's, um, oh, it's still so wild and rugged. There's a lot of places that, that haven't been touched by by man or excavated or developed like a lot of the other places around the country and yeah it's just just really unique you know we've got a um, a lot of beautiful native bush and um, rivers and lakes and yeah you you can stand on the on our on our beach front and look back to the east and you're staring at the snow-capped southern alps and yeah um and other than you know, I, I live here. Uh, that's probably one of the main highlights of the place. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you're, you're the reason we came across there. So you you go from Christchurch, which is a you know it's a a bustling city, um, especially you know regenerated after 
the earthquakes of more than a decade ago now. And it's it's smashing it. You get there, there's great food, there's funky places. You jump on a train, one of the most beautiful railway rides I've ever done, and I'm into trains and I know a few good rides. It's one of the most beautiful I've ever done. And all of a sudden you arrive in the West Coast and it's like, wow, this is so different. Yeah. The weather feels different. The air smells different and everything looks different. You've got much more lush sort of uh, almost sort of subtropical rainforest, cold climate rainforest, and yeah. um, and really yeah. cool people like you, Cartonet. And, and obviously we rode uh, the, the Wilderness Trail there as part of the episode. So, Cartonet, I want to know a bit more about you because we did this experience of carving, and we know for Māori carving is so important. You taught us how to carve. We yeah. actually carved our own our own little uh, um, artif- or little little sort of, I don't know, what would you call it, piece of art. Oh. A piece of art, yeah, your might own be, little treasure. Might be polymer. stretching it for me, I think. But anyway, we carved it. You taught us how. Tell us about what you do and why it's so important to Māori to carve and, and how people can do it. Oh, yeah. So um, well, I play a number of carving stars, but I, I work in a carve-your-own studio. So basically what that means is people can come in and make their own pendant. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pendant. It could be a sculpture or little trinket or key ring or bracelet or whatever, you know. They might have just had the wildest imagination. I thought, man, that'd be awesome to be made out of greenstone and be wearing around my neck or on my key ring for wherever I go. And um so yeah, any old Joe Bloggs can come in and do it and um if, yeah, if, I if we can do it anyone it. if we can do it anyone can, right, Carter? Yeah, that <laughs> mate, like, you know, I've had I've had people come in that have been um so the, the best one I I can remember was a guy come in, he was he was deaf and blind. Um so he had a, a, a minder with him who sort of I oh, know done some calligraphy stuff on his hand and they they communicated like that and he, he just went by um feel and vibration. And wow. at the end of it he came out with a pretty spectacular love heart pendant. I, I I was amazed. That is so you know, if, if amazing. we could do it, anybody can. That's amazing. Now, uh, we, we, Vandy and I made our own. I made a little love heart, actually, as you say, for my daughter, Hannah. It was her birthday, and I made it for her, and I gave it to her, and she's like, oh, Dad, and then put it in a drawer. I hadn't won it since, but Cartanea, we'll have to, we'll have, to have a chat to her about that. But um, yeah. carving for Māori is really important. We carved on the greenstone. Tell us about a little bit about that background, because one of the beautiful things about coming to New Zealand doing the episodes that we did, we did six, is to learn more about the culture of the Maori and the history. And your experience really yeah. taught me that whilst I was, you know, whilst Vandy and I were creating something, you told us the history as well. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, Ponam is a pretty, pretty prized possession or treasure of the Maori. Um, it was back in the old times. It was used uh, as mainly for tools and weapons of war. Um, so yeah, the old people they used to used to fashion it uh, into greenstone clubs, and they'd be used in war, and they'd fashion um, greenstone adzes, which they'd work away at with uh, sandstone. And um, yeah, once you know the, the more tribes sort of, or other other tribes around the country sort of found out about the stone, it became quite a prized commodity, eh? and that's when a lot of the the great wars and that of the West Coast, the ancient Māori wars started, it was over the Greenstone. Wow. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm fortunate enough to come from um, the tribe that was conquered 
but also the tribe that done the conquering. That's what makes sense. That's why probably we're still talking to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and ever since then, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a generational thing since then, um, something that's sort of been passed down, handed down throughout throughout the generations. So um, for for my family in particular, my great-grandfather, he went over, he was in the Māori Battalion and went away and fought in the World War Two, and then... Um, yeah, when he come back, he was one of the first, uh, what would you call it, I guess, um, greenstone carving schools in New Zealand um, at the time. Yeah. So, you know, that was back in the 40s or 50s or whatever yeah. when that happened. So, yeah, um, yeah. since then, uh, yeah, my, my grandmother and um, all her siblings and that, when they were kids, their, their job was to go out onto the river and, and, and look for the greenstone, find the greenstone, take it home, and then my grandfather would show them how to how to cut it down and break it down and work it. Well, I, I think Be when, able to make some money to feed the family and that off it. Feed the family. Well, you, you, I, I don't know whether our greenstones that we carve would ever make anyone any money. Andy and I had a good world, though. But I reckon everyone that tries uh, the Wilderness Trail should come to you and have you teach them how to carve a greenstone, create something beautiful that you can keep forever. What, what's the name of your business, before we get onto a little bit of a chat about the Wilderness Trail, what's the name of your business, please, Katane? Uh, so our, our place is called Bones and Stones, Carve Your Own Studio. There you go. And we're situated on Hamilton Street in Hukitika. Hukitika is a crazily cool town. So you know what I discovered when I was there? I did not know this. There's an incredible network of mountain bike trails just out the back of Hukitika, and regardless of that, the Wilderness Trail that starts in Greymouth goes through Hokitika. And Hokitika is right on the Tasman Sea, and it is rough as, right? The water is really, really angry. And it's this beautiful, surfy kind of cool town. Great cafes, great pubs, really cool people. Um, but the Wilderness Trail is what it's all about. So would you, have you ever ridden any of it there, Katane? Uh, no, of... I've walked it. Yeah. Well, you can walk it, <laughs> um, right? You can walk it, you can ride it, you can do whatever you yeah. want. You can ride it, you can do it, it, any way of, yeah, getting yourself. You're just not allowed to take motorised um, vehicles or bikes. Yeah. Oh, you can take, uh, what are they, e-bikes? Yep, e-bikes. I think. But, and it's yeah. an easy ride. It's like a grade yeah. one or two ride. And, you know, the, how's the how's the environment you're riding through? I mean, it's just this dense, cold climate rainforest. That's, that's <laughs> it's as thick as. Yeah, it's just amazing. Um, what, uh, what what do you reckon you should Aussies can th- can expect when they come to Hokitika and come to your beautiful part of the world, Katane? Oh, they can expect you know the, if they want to get out and do the, the wilderness trail, there's oh there's all sorts of different um, tracks on there. Right? So you know you got one that can take up to an hour or if you want to get a bit of interest, you know, you've got the, the big 60, 70 kilometre rides that can take you half a day sort of thing. Though. And the, some of the, the, the scenery that you go through is wicked. Oh, it's, it's, wicked. and it's so different to every other ride that we saw in New Zealand. So I, I suggest everyone that listens to Trail yeah. Towns and everyone that wants to have a holiday in New Zealand does the Wilderness Trail and comes to Hokitika and checks out Bones and Stones, Bones and Stones, sorry, with you. 
uh, Katane, because we yep. had such a blast meeting you with you, and you were so funny and you were so kind. So when people watch the show, you'll get to see Katane on the show and you get to see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> <laughs> Katane, yep. thanks for joining me. Vandy is, uh, Vandy is uh, unavailable. I think he's in the air right now, but thanks for joining me um, on Trail Towns and thanks so much for being on the episode. And I do look forward to coming back one day and meeting you again and doing the Wilderness Trail again. It was that good. No worries, bro. Awesome. Thank you for your time. And yeah, thanks for coming to visit and making us a part of your guys' show. And uh, hope to see you again in the future. You absolutely so, will. Preferably soon. <laughs> <laughs> soon. You will, brother. You will. You're on Trail Towns with Vandy and Dietz. You're listening to Trail Towns Radio, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. Next up, we've got the giant special guest of the week, and this is a really special guest. He's probably the most famous cyclist of our lifetime. It's Cadell Evans. He's the first ever person in Australia or Australian to win the Tour de France. He's a road world champion, four times Olympian, and also in his early days, two times World Cup champion. Welcome, Cadell. Good day, guys. Thanks for having me along. We are so excited, Cadell. Um, I guess that the, the strangest thing is you and I have so much in common, Cadell, because guess where I grew up in Greensboro and the Blue Lake is where you used to ride. You're from my area and now it's called Plenty Gorge Mountain Bike Park. Tell us about racing in the Blue Lake back in the day. So, well, Blue Lake, when, when I lived out there, <clears throat> so maybe, maybe I'm making myself sound older than I feel, but um, <laughs> oh, long story short, um, I just actually started riding mountain bikes because I, with my family, moved out to Plenty, and um, there was a mountain bike race there held by the Fat Tire Flyers. I think it was about November 1991, and um, late 1991, and um, they had a race. I think they had a morning race in Janefield, and then an afternoon race in uh, Blue Lake. And, and a friend of mine said, "Oh, there's a race on. We should go along." And went down, signed on. Well, paid my five or ten dollars, whatever it was, and and um, participated in the race. Um, liked it, found it really hard, but um, I remember my mum asked me after the race, "Oh, did you like it? Would you like to do it again?" And I said, "Yes, I would," and I did. I did some <laughs> other races after that, quite a few actually. Quite, and, quite a few. I mean, your results list is huge, but do you have one of your proudest cycling memories? Um, ooh, um, I've, I raced so I raced seven years professional mountain bike, thirteen years professional on the roads. It was, it was nineteen years and something, but I'll say I'll say twenty years at a high level. And um, I have to say, looking back at it, I suppose I had some. Um, the thing I'm most proud of is probably my versatility um, from my early mountain early days mountain bike through to my road race, road days where I could like win one-day races and, and three-week races and, and all through the season as well. My uh, longevity and my, my versatility is probably what I'm most proud of. I have to say a single result. Um, of course, the tour is the big famous one, but the, the most known one. But also for me, the 2009 Road World Championships was um, behind the scenes was probably the hardest one, actually, because it was just a, it was just a year where, where nothing wanted to go right for me. But I sort of I came through and to the, deliver that result in the situation was probably something I should be um, 
Kind of, I'm glad I backed me, put it that way. I'd agree. You rode so aggressively in that 2009 Road World Championships and then you got to wear the rainbow jersey for a year. Just incredible. It was, um, yeah, it all sort of came as a surprise because my, my, even my, my own trade team and everything would just rip me off and I'm done and everything. And of course, when you're wearing that jersey, anything you say say sort of sort of goes really. So it changes Unfortunately, it changes everyone's attitude towards you a little bit too much because you know, in the end, the day before and the day after the race, I was still the same person, the same rider. But with that jersey, it, um, it really changes people's perspective on you. Absolutely. Yeah, Cadell, thanks to you, I wasn't the same person after you won the time trial in 2011 beating the Schleck brothers. All my friends were around my place and we were watching you and we were screaming and I had the worst hangover the next day of my life. And I blame you for it. Now tell me, was that more exciting winning the time trial or the last day in the Champs-Élysées for you? So, oh, well, in the, in the um, tour, the tour is sort of, because it's three weeks long, it sort of unfolds very slowly. So it's not like a, I suppose it's um and at the World Championships or something, especially if you win it in a sprint or something, you might not know you're even going to win it until the last 10 metres or 20 metres of a 250-kilometre-plus yep. race. Whereas the tour sort of is unfolding day by day, and each day that passes, oh, that's good, that's good, oh, this, is good. this is looking good. But I think um, like the actual time trial and getting through, and it's like, okay, now just we just have to get to the finish in Paris, and it's ours to be. That's, that's, that's the easy part. Of course, anything can go wrong. But um, like the the time trial was the big turning point, um, and having been in that situation two times before, and people, everyone thinking that I could do it, but I didn't come. I came close, but not 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 close enough. Close, but no cigar, as they used to say. But then also at the same time, I'm kind of cautious rider and don't celebrate until it's all one and done. And so crossing the actual finish line now, it's like okay. <laughs> no one can, nothing can go wrong now. This is ours, and no one can take this off us. So, so um, I suppose the the time trial was the hard work, but we still had to get the jersey to Paris. And just you just got to be careful, doesn't it? Complacency is the the biggest undoing of success um, for by successful people from what I've seen in my life. So just make sure you get it across the line, and then then really celebrate. Very very wise words, Cadell, and. Just bringing it back to Australia, you've got a strong connection with the Great Great Ocean Road in Victoria, and you have the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road race and ride. Tell us about the area and why it's so good for riding. Um, yeah, I, I I rode a lot, like you said, Plenty Gorge, King Lake area in my when I was younger. But um, at the start of my um, professional career, I moved uh, to Barwon Heads. And of course, so all my training for most of my road career was done, um, all my base training and so on was done on the Great Ocean Road and around Geelong. Um, so I've done I've done a lot of road riding there. Um, all my friends tell me I should always be going out and doing trails and things, but really training as a professional, you sort of have a lot of training to do, mm. a lot of specific training. Yeah. And it's not that you have energy or even much time afterwards to, to go for a ride. If you've got time for something, you, you have an afternoon nap is sort of the best thing you can do for your training normally. Recover. But um, I started riding there, of course, riding, I'd ridden there in the past to, to races and things, but um, just I have to say, every time you ride down the Great Ocean Road and you come down the S's towards Lawn and it's just 
it's always fantastic. And I have to say, I'm, I'm a bit biased, of course, but it's probably one of the best roads in the, in the world amazing. to ride on. Yep. Really and um, in the meantime, there's been this amazing development of trails and mountain bike parks and and events. Uh, a good friend of mine actually lives in Forest and sort of follows all that, 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 that um a good old friend of mine lives lives in Forest and, and follows all of the development work down there. But it's become a real hub of all sorts of cycling. I'm still road and gravel, but more for time constraints than anything. But of course, the the mountain biking down there is um, is oh, brings people from not not all, not only around Victoria, but um, from much further abroad. Yeah, um, Cadell, I've done a, a lot of riding in that region. Forest is fabulous. Some great rail trails. Skeens Creek, you know, Wild Dog Creek Road from pretty much Apollo Bay, Skeens Creek to the top of the Otways. Just beautiful riding. Well, tell me, you've got a couple of kids now, and I've got a couple of kids. Taking your family away on a holiday with a bike or taking them for a ride in a, in a bike trail is some of the best funds. Where would you like to go for a bike holiday when you have time? Where, where is the one spot, do you think, that would be? Um, the best trails, mountain biking, the best trails I've ridden recently were in uh, Utah, actually, a bit further afield. But um, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to see some, uh, explore some of the areas, oh, even Queensland, um, if I, if I were to travel with the family. But living so close, when we can travel and so on again, living so close, I, I, I will be spending a lot more time, I know, down in the forest in that area in the future because I've got family moving down there actually so um, I'll, I'll be spending a lot of time there and that's probably where my, my kids will be starting out and biking and uh, so we have Simon Jamison on the show and he's he sort of provides technical advice to the listeners do you remember him from the 90s I think he says that he was the uh, team yeah. manager of your team back then Yes, the very first team that I, I rode with, it was a small set of us. We just raced around Australia, but um, I travelled to a few races with Simon Jamison, actually, so I, I know him well. I was I was young, but I remember him well. Anything you'd like to say to him there, Cadell? <laughs> now, 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 it's not that he's like the grumpy old mountain biker guy, is it? <laughs> Nailed it in one. <laughs> yes, we, we get him on every week. Well, I remember, him, I remember his... As, as, as the grumpy, but maybe not so old mountain bike guy when I was <laughs> He's still grumpy. Okay, we've got some rapid-fire questions. You have to answer one of the following. Gravel or mountain, Cadell? Gravel. France or Italy? France or, sorry? Or Italy. I, or Italy. Oh, Italy. Oh, uh, pizza or Schweinfeist? Schweinfleisch, which is ski instructor's Pizza. lunch. <laughs> okay, lycra or baggies? Pizza. Pizza. Lycra or baggies? I'm, I'm still lycra. Yeah, yeah, good. I have some baggies, but I'm still lycra. Climbing or descending? At the end of every climb, there is a downhill. <laughs> downhill. Latte or long black? Mm, neither. Espresso. And this is a trick question. Vandy or Dietz? <laughs> <laughs> Pass. <laughs> I think we're going to all ride together, aren't we? Oh, we yes. are. We are. We are. We, we would love to have you on Trail Towns when we come down the surf coast. We'll talk about that later. But you have been so wonderful to talk to today. Um, we both feel very lucky, and I'm sure our audience do too. So, Cadell, thank you so much, and also thanks to Troy, your manager, who made it so wonderful to have you on the show today. Today from TDH Sports and Entertainment.
Thank you so much, Cadell. Thank you, guys. And I think probably you're in Australia even more so than me. We're all looking forward to riding some trails soon. Sounds good. We sure are. Best bloke going around right there, Vandy. Thank you. Now, uh, right after this, we're going to be chatting about active transport. We're going to be chatting to Belinda and Paul from Bravery Trust. And, uh, well, I'm just going to be having a bit of a glass of water coming down after that interview. You're on SEN with Vandy and Deets. SEN with You're listening to Trail Towns Radio, the first bicycle tourism radio show in the world. You're on SCN with Vandy and Dietz on Trail Towns. That's right, mate. And I am so excited for the next part of the show. It's brought to you by Giant Bicycles, which have been a big sponsor of mine. And we've got a giant character and a really true champion of track cycling, Anna Mears, coming on. And she's a four times Olympian and two times Olympic gold medalist. Her resume is as long as your arm. It's so unbelievable. She's been 11 times world champion and we've got her on now. Hello, Anna. Hello. How are you? <laughs> hey, Anna. This is Dee. That's Vandy. And most importantly, it's just great to have somebody that's a bigger cheese than Vandy on the show. So I, I think that's, that's just, not hard. That is just fantastic. Anna, thanks. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us. Hey, um, we actually met years ago, believe it or not. I interviewed you when you were coming up to the Beijing Games at BHP. You might not remember me. I don't blame you if you don't. Many people don't. But uh, I remember, and you know what I learned on that is that your father was a miner. Tell us about where yes. you grew up and how you got into cycling. Yes, um, that is a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like um, yesterday to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad was a coal miner for about 35 years and um, he originally came from New Zealand and came across to Australia when he was 19. Um, built a number of the dams and bridges throughout uh, Queensland and eventually found himself in central Queensland uh, in the coal mining industry where um, he met my mum and... Obviously, then then the, the four Mears, Mears kids came along, <laughs> and um, I grew up in the coal basin of central Queensland for the first probably 14 years of my life. Wow. So, and, yeah, uh, blue-collar working family. <laughs> is, is that around like Emerald or Murrumbah around there? Yeah. So, we're, we were in Middlemount, which is three hours inland from Rocky, an hour and a half from Emerald, um, kind of in the basin where you've got Middlemount, Thierry, uh, Murrumbah, that yeah, kind of region. It's a lovely part of the world. And um, mm. you got uh, into track cycling of all sports uh, being in Queensland. Yeah. seems a bit strange. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, the funny thing is it was called Middle Mount because there's one mountain in the whole flat district <laughs> of the space that we, we lived in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and track cycling kind of came to us because um, we'd had a cycling background. Um, we were obviously in a regional area and BMX was one of the biggest sports at the time. So obviously off the back of the eighties of the BMX bandits and, yeah. and growing up through the nineties in that region. But um, it was actually, that. yeah, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Uh, it was a 94 com games on TV that we saw Kathy Watwin gold for Australia on the velodrome, which introduced us for the first time to track cycling. Oh, interesting. And I, I just seem to remember that your, your parents really, really did give up a lot to get you, training and going to track sessions. I think they had to drive you for hours each way, didn't they, a couple of times a week? Yeah, it was a three-hour drive each way to the closest velodrome, and it was an outdoor flat bitumen circular track at Walkston near Mackay. Um, we were driven that, uh, you know, the beef was called Beef Road, so a single-lane 
bitumen um, predominantly for the cattle trucks for the farmers and also the dog trains for the, the coal trains, coal trucks. Um, and that's why it took so long. Obviously, you had to get fully off the road if you ever saw a truck coming, if you wanted to save your windshield. Um that is but, just yeah, so exciting. I don't know if it's more exciting the drive or the actual cycling <laughs> itself. And, uh, yeah, I, I raced World Cup cross-country mountain biking events for over a decade, and I see your career has expanded over far longer than that. I just I, – I, I struggle to comprehend how you stayed motivated. I guess with the – you had such good rivalries and you're at the top of the sport for so long, but tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, well, I think uh, one of the things that kept me in my sport so long was it, it. even though the events were the same, the people that you raced and the strengths and weaknesses that they brought were very, very different. And I was fully intrigued by that challenge. It wasn't always just physical. It was mental. It was emotional in understanding how to play that chess game of what skills I had to improve, what I was lacking, how I could negate their strengths and and bring out the best in mine. Um, so that was that was the game that I really liked about the sprinting side of track cycling, which I ultimately fell into. Um, I was probably built more for endurance cycling, but I didn't have the attention span or the interest for a few hours of riding. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the short stuff was definitely more intriguing as a young kid. Yeah, um, yeah but, you know, it, uh, it's, it's one of those things, as, as you guys would understand, Com Games and Olympic Games are once every four years and rotate every two. And it's the pinnacle of our sport. That was just, you know, I experienced it the first time um, in Athens in 04 at the Olympic Games. I was desperate to be there again. And you've got to wait four years for another chance. And um, yeah, once you're in that realm, you start to really realize how rare it is. And um, and the chance to improve each each cycle is even rarer. So, yeah. Anna, your your strength wasn't only as a cyclist, but also your mental strength, your ability to outthink your competitors. Perhaps the greatest strength you have, though, is coming back from adversity when you actually in 2008 broke your neck and then you still made the Olympics that year. I mean, that to me is an astounding story. Just just expand on that a tiny bit. Thank you. Um, I've been retired now for six years and I think I'm realising the enormity of that um, time frame of my life. I think my youth and naivety at the time definitely helped me. Um, and you're just in like the zone, I, said, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. But like I said, um, I realised quite young how rare it was to get to Olympic Games to how rare it was to win at Olympic Games. And uh, I'd been there in Athens and experienced both as a young 20-year-old and I was desperate to be there again. And so... Um, I kind of saw my accident, my injury as a real inconvenience to making that happen. And um, <laughs> despite having some understanding of, you know, the like you said, the enormity of the injury that I had, which was a broken neck and to top off a long list of injuries. Um, but I also think that my accident really defined me and my career. I, I learned a lot about myself. I, I learned a lot about my capabilities and that I was really performing on a daily basis well under where I could have been. Um, and the fact that I was able with a team um, to turn it around from literally hitting a wooden wall to winning an Olympic silver medal, I, I think allowed me a perspective to understand that if I could apply myself in that manner again every day, I could be even greater again. And that's why I think London was such a big 
um, games for me because not just for the rivalry that I had, which helps push through long careers, but also for the belief that I gained in my ability to not just be better, but beat the best. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I got a taste of it and I just, I just couldn't give it up. Rio was so close, but so fast. So. <laughs> yes. And then I got old. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I was watching over some of the events and uh, none of them are more impressive than, is it the Vicky Pembleton and the, the gold medal sprint competition? Um, there was a, the story of the track stand. Could you just expand on that a little bit? Because I find that so amazing. Yeah, so one part of preparation, as you know, is physical preparation. You can do all the work to get the biggest engine under the hood, but then if you don't know how to use it on race day against opponents like Victoria Pendleton of Great Britain, there's no point doing all that preparation. So um, it was my team who helped me understand that a big part of it was got to be mental because of the rivalry to start with, but also because simply of how good she was. Um, and so they started to dissect her and by, by, by dissect, I mean watch over 300 hours of race footage, break her down to statistical data to be able to provide me with a, a picture through information that I could then start to understand what strategy I was going to require to ultimately have give myself the best chance to beat the best. Wow. And um, in a nutshell, uh, you know, what the sprint broke down to for Vicky Pendleton was every time that she raced an opponent from the back, she won about 90% of her races. And when she was in front of opponents, that slipped by about, you know, 60%. So you had to get so her at the front. We, yeah. So we realized that my best chance of success against her was making sure she was in the front every time. And so leading into the Olympics, we, we raced from the back position to try and throw her off of what we intended to do. And then come London, we had our trump card of, of using this track stand, which is a skill of just balancing the bike in a stationary position yep. and uh, forcing her from her best and most successful position to her least practiced and least successful. And uh, and as history would show, it would be successful for us. And it turned, turned into Olympic gold. I think that I read a <laughs> quote as well, um, because obviously you wouldn't have been the biggest fan in uh, England that afternoon beating her. You said something like, uh, I'm not here to have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, it's, that is a great statement. Thank you so much, and Anna. We really, really appreciate your time. Very kind. Thank you, <laughs> You take care. Righto. Right after this break, we've got some exciting stuff coming on SEN with Vanny and Dietz. Our next guest on Trail Towns Radio is the legend of Sale of the Century, Vandy. He's also a car nut and he's my ex-boss on the... Here it is! He's my ex-boss on the car show and the boat show on Channel 9. Welcome to Trail Towns Radio, Glenn Ridge. It's good to be with you and, and Vandy and my therapist uh, is eternally grateful for you being a part of my life. <laughs> well, that's no, actually, thank you for coming on, Glenn, because I, I really just want to know how on earth did you ever work with Dietz? I mean, I'm working with him now and it's just a roller coaster. <laughs> and there's always the bad we, bit uh, of the roller coaster. 
we made sure he was always out on the road and uh, kept him away from as many people as possible. We could tell a couple of stories, but I think what happens on a, a TV show needs to stay on a TV show. Yes. And, and leave it at that. Well, I've got to tell you guys, I am a bit concerned that you guys and, and Trail Towns, congratulations on your series, which was fantastic. Thank you, Richard. Um, re, re a push bike. I can't for the life of me. Well, I don't like them. I don't like spending time on them. Uh, I can't understand why you would have an e-bike in preference to an actual motorbike. And that's all we've got time and for today, Glenn. Thanks for coming on. I'm not a fan of Lycra. So I'm not sure whether you still want to talk to me or not. Well, well I, I'm good interview. The, no, it's been a good interview. Now, the reason I've asked you to come on today, Glenn, is because when, I mean, we have been mates now for, you know, getting on 15 years, and um, I did come Too on. Many, yeah. I did come. You were very, you were kind yeah. enough to put me on your television show for a few years there, and we had actually so many laughs and so much fun. So when I came to you with this idea, you really helped. You really gave us great advice, and now we're on oh. network telly. And I'm, and I wanted to thank you for that, but thank you publicly, thank you, Glenn. But also say, <laughs> what did you like about the idea? Why did you not tell me to go away? Uh, I was struggling for friends at the time, Beach. It was just a, a low part. We were in lockdown uh, and all that. Any face I'm getting older. So you can't afford to upset too many people. And, uh, but, well, I was told the other day you shouldn't upset an old person because a life sentence isn't a deterrent anymore. And I know the feeling. Um, but no, look, in a serious note, I, I just a couple of reasons. I think local productions are really important um, and, and obviously our friendship comes into play. But also the, the fact that the TV series was promoting regional Australia uh, very much and uh, that's a part of Australia which is very fond of me. I spent a lot of time in regional Australia and uh, there are businesses out there who, uh, who need help and uh, there are lots of families who rely on those businesses. So that, that was one thing, but also the concept of, although I say I don't like bikes, I, I, I lied a little bit there, I guess, but, but <laughs> just something to promote getting out and having a good time and enjoying yourself and keeping fit and all that sort of thing is, is fantastic. And I think you've delivered all, on all of them and I do seriously mean it. Congratulations, Andy and, 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 and Beats and the team for putting it together. It was a great series. Oh, thank it. you. And we can't wait for season two in New Zealand. It's going to blow your socks mm. off. Well, yeah, if, if you get there. <laughs> well, um, you had a very good career in radio and TV and still do. But Dietz was saying to me earlier that when you were doing Sale of the Century, you just had to work one day a week. Is this true? It was a very solid day. It was a, pub, it was a public servant's week uh, in one day. Um, it, uh, it, look, we did. We, we did. I, I was very lucky to be a part of Sale in a whole heap of ways, but uh, uh, I think where I was most lucky was to work with an incredible group of people, not only the ones on camera with us, um, but, but behind the scenes and uh, gave us a real good insight how to do things properly and also be a part of what I still maintain is one of the best television certainly quiz show formats in the world. But we used to go on of a day. I'd uh, get in there at 9 o'clock in the morning and we'd go through all the questions uh, with the adjudicators and all that sort of thing, make sure I could read them. They didn't have any words longer than six letters. And um, then come 1 o'clock, it was a bit of a sausage factory. We did uh, one episode and uh, once we got through that, we nicked them off and got the next lot in and kept going. And generally about 6.30, we were back at the Bridge Hotel. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Having a beer and, and having a laugh and that. So, it, yeah, it was. It was a, a really interesting experience, Marty, and uh, it opened up an awful lot of doors for me, and I'm very privileged to be a part of uh, 
of, of a show like that. Oh, it's iconic. Question without notice, Glenn. Um, what was the funniest moment on that show that maybe we don't realise actually happened? Was there something that just happened and you just can't believe it did? The, the, the funniest moment I thought was when they actually offered me the job and I thought, you've got to be joking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. How, how bad is the industry happened? Um, Sunk this far. Oh, look. Now, uh, Glenn, we have a section that is the rapid fire round where we give you a couple of options and then you have to choose one or the other. I think I should kick it off, actually. Would you rather... Deets sink a boat or crash a car? Which I did both on your show multiple times. <laughs> you did. You did. For some reason, I've got a Porsche comes to mind and a clutch, Deets. It wouldn't be Peter Fitzgerald by any chance, would it? <laughs> <laughs> um, sink a boat or crash a car? I, depending, I prefer to sink a boat, yeah. I think, as in a very small tinny. Yeah, and then it's gone. Uh, or a canoe. Remember that yeah. fishing platformy thing that you put me on and next minute I was up to my knees in water and I was like, what's going on here? You've sunk it, Deets. All right, next, next, next question, Richie. Top Gear or Trail Towns? Oh. It's a tough one. It shouldn't be a tough one. It shouldn't be a tough one. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't decide. Both of them have got idiot hosts. No, that's um, right. <laughs> well, uh, not bad. Not uh, a... <laughs> look, I would have to say trail town. Oh. What was the question? Which is the favourite or the worst? Oh, yeah. What was the <laughs> okay, and we uh, we know uh, this one: bike riding or hearing <laughs> the scratching of fingernails down a chalkboard. <laughs> I always wanted to be a teacher. No, um, yeah, no. Look, I, I think, I, uh, yeah, no. It's scratching the fingers down. The yeah, we knew it. We knew it. Oh, Reggie, it's been an absolute delight having you come on the show again from Vanny and I and all the team at Trail Towns. Thanks for the advice and help and mentoring that you've given us throughout the entire project and continue to give us. Um, I will one day pay you back for crashing all those cars and sinking all those boats, mate. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Our pleasure. Congratulations to all of you guys for what you've done and uh, uh, hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Trail Towns Radio brought to you by 100% Pure New Zealand. We'll catch you next week as Vandy and I do our first global OB, which is outside broadcast in radio talk from Devon in the southwest of England as we ride the glorious coast-to-coast trail. Now, Saturday 4pm, if that's a little tricky to catch this week's episode on SBS, always just go on SBS On Demand. Our whole first season is there, and the episodes which are broadcast, which are three, is on demand right now. So go check it at your own leisure. Don't miss Trail Towns Radio next week at 9pm, all over Australia and New Zealand on SEN. We'll see you later.